0: Thank you for joining us. My name is Michelle, I'm the Chief Program Officer here at the Aspen Art Museum. I'm very pleased to be kicking off today's third installment of The Great Debate, which is a program that we started to elevate civic dialogue. Um, I would like to thank very much the Question Education Fund for making this program free. Our dear partners at Aspen Public Radio who are broadcasting this for us and moderating the event. Um, And we're also presenting a special screening with them following this film of All the President's Men at 630. Um, which is also being presented with Aspen Film. Most importantly, I would really like to thank the speakers who have so graciously agreed to be on this rather pressing topic. Um, it's definitely been a, a big ask of them and I'm very conscious and grateful of how vulnerable that they are all making themselves. Um, it's, it's really nothing to be anything less than very grateful of. Um, it's been very brave to have them here. So thank you to our speakers. Tonight has a very tight program that we're gonna follow pretty to the T. Um, it will be moderated by award-winning journalist Alison Bechtish, who is the news director for Aspen Public Radio. She will provide the introductions to our speakers and then will deliver, who will out, and then outline the format, and then our speakers will proceed with delivering their arguments and turn it over to you for questions and ultimately the vote. On which side do you think, importantly, to distinguish your voting? On which side made the more compelling argument? So thank you very much for being here to participate in this form of dialogue. It's in this very important season, and so with that, I hand it over to Allison. Thank you. Thank you you
1: so much. Good evening to our audience here at the Aspen Art Museum and to our listeners on Aspen Public Radio. Tonight, the Aspen Art Museum continues its great debate series modeled after the Oxford debate format. You'll see those characteristics of the Oxford debate. Panelists have been assigned to argue for or against the topic statement. After opening remarks, you, the audience, will have a chance to question specific panelists, and in the end, you will be voting to determine which side made the most compelling argument. I commend the Art Museum for recognizing the power of debate, of open minds, of community discourse. The exercise we distill down to just an hour here tonight is a skill we can take into our everyday lives. In a time of divided discourse, there are some societal essentials that need to be strengthened. We need the ability to clearly state one's views, the emphasis on rational reasoning, persuasive arguments, and most importantly, the ability to understand a view separate than one's own, and perhaps even change one's mind. Tonight we examine the statement, facts are fundamental to the truth. We know that a photo taken at a slightly different angle can show a completely different picture. I've been made to look tall before. <laughs> can that happen in other realms too? Can we leave out or add in just the right facts that will create a different truth? If something Is something that's true now always true? If something hurts me and it doesn't hurt you, is it true that it hurts? We know that truth and justice don't go hand in hand and that innocent people are locked up while guilty ones walk free. How do members of our press, as are on our panel tonight, and members of the public sort out facts, alternative facts, and truths? How do we find our own truth, even when it doesn't match the facts? How do we use reason in our discourse if facts are not there? What about memories? What about predictions? What are we seeking when we seek the truth? Joining me this evening, arguing in the affirmative are Brent Garner-Smith, directly to my left. Brent Garner-Smith is the editor, executive director, and founder of Aspen Journalism, a local nonprofit investigative news organization. He is currently reporting on water and rivers in Aspen, Colorado, and the West, in collaboration with the Aspen Times and other regional newspapers. Brent founded Aspen Journalism in 2011 after earning his master's degree in journalism from the University of Missouri. Garner-Smith, has also served as Executive Director of Aspen Public Radio, News Director at WMVY, Public Affairs Director at Aspen Skiing Company, and a reporter at the Aspen Daily News, the Aspen Times, and K Snow. His work has been recognized by the Colorado Broadcasters Association, the Colorado Press Association, and the Society of Professional Journalists. Welcome, Brent. Thank you. To his left, also arguing in the affirmative, is Curtis Wackerly. Curtis Wackerly has been the editor of the Aspen Daily News since 2015 and a reporter at the paper since 2006. A graduate of the University of Montana School of Journalism, he was initially drawn to the profession due to the license it provides to keep asking questions and the endless learning opportunities that come with the day-to-day work. Curtis is a native of Portland, Oregon, and moved to Aspen a few weeks after his first visit. So taken he was with the steep ski runs dropping into the heart of town. Curtis and his fiancée, Aaron, who works in marketing, are parents of a three-month-old boy, Nolan. Thank you, Curtis. (laughs) Arguing against the statement, facts are fundamental to the truth, are Cindy Hirschfeld, a Roaring Fork Valley resident of 20 years. Cindy Hirschfeld is the editor-in-chief of Aspen Sojourner magazine. She's also a freelance travel, ski, and outdoor adventure writer who writes for numerous national publications, including The New York Times, Sierra Magazine, and Outside. A huge dog lover, Cindy authored a best-selling guidebook, Canine Colorado, Where to Go and What to Do with Your Dog. She lives in Basalt with her husband, Todd Hartley, who is the arts and entertainment editor for the Aspen Daily News, and their son, Griffin, an 11-year-old aspiring artist. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you. And David Kraus. David has been the Aspen Times editor since February 2017. Before coming to Aspen, David worked for nearly 17 years at the Denver Post. He has helped coordinate coverage of major events, including the 2008 Democratic National Convention, and was part of the Post's Pulitzer Prize winning team for its breaking news reporting on the Aurora theater shooting. In his career, David has covered eighth grade football in Oklahoma and the Broncos in the Super Bowl. He has a degree in mass communications from the University of Oklahoma and a media history degree from St. Gregory's University. Thank you each for being here. We're gonna get right to it. We have five-minute opening statements from each of our panelists, beginning with Brent Garner-Smith, who is for the proposition, facts are fundamental to the truth.
2: Thank you, Allison, and thank you to the Art Museum for putting this debate and discussion together about facts and the truth. So I'm gonna argue that facts are fundamental to the truth and are especially fundamental to hard truth as opposed to soft truth where I anticipate my esteemed colleagues are going to take refuge. Hard truth. What is hard truth? Hard truth to me is sort of a black and white life and death truth. And the hardest truth of all is death. And I think humans have a very ancient innate ability to discern when something or someone is alive or dead. We can tell when death is in our midst. And that's a very hard truth, and it's an ancient truth. It certainly predates the internet, or social media, or journalism, or even, I would argue, written language. Let me try and paint you a picture, since we're here at the art museum. Uh, Imagine it's 10,000 years ago in what is now Aspen. And there's a family living here, a pair of siblings, a brother and a sister. Sister lives on what is now Ute Avenue, and, and brother lives over on what is now Willoughby Way and mother lives with sister. And one day, sister comes home, and mother has died peacefully in her bed. Sister rushes across town to tell brother that mother has died. And brother is disbelieving. He doesn't believe the truth that sister is asserting. And he says, well, I need to see for myself. So they come back across town, and brother, using his own senses, his sense of touch and and sight, discerns the facts for himself, that yes, indeed, mother has died. So I think this is a very fundamental thing for humans. We need to see the facts of death. We need to see the body before we believe that hard truth. Now, I know that's a grim illustration, but I do think it bolsters my argument that facts are fundamental to hard truth. Now, in in preparing for this debate, I did look up the definitions in the shorter Oxford English Dictionary of truth and facts, and I was delighted to see that there are five definitions of fact in the OED, and the third one is truth or reality. So, indeed, fact equals truth or reality. Now, truth is a more difficult concept. There are 11 definitions of truth in the OED, and the fifth one conveniently for my argument, is fact or facts. And further, it says, the matter or circumstance as it is. So, I thought that's great. They're so fundamental is the relationship between truth and fact that they're, they're basically synonyms. Now, to concede a point to my esteemed colleagues, the first definition of truth in the OED is faith, trust, or confidence as in a religion or creed. So that led me to think that, yeah, there's a soft truth out there and there's a hard truth. Now, if you think about that, the soft truth, I mean, the Christian religion is based on what I might consider a soft truth, that indeed Jesus died and was buried and three days later rose to be at the right hand of God. Now, there's a lot of people who take that as, if you will, gospel truth, But there are very few facts to support that truth. So that's a soft truth. So I was delighted that we're having this uh, conversation today in the context of journalism. After all, they invited five journalists here, and they're going to show all the president's men after that. Facts are fundamental to truth, yes. Facts are fundamental to truth in journalism even more so. So I really don't envy my esteemed colleagues to make the case that facts are not fundamental to truth in journalism. And I'll close by pointing out one scene in All the President's Men. It's a little heralded scene, but I think it gets to my point. So Ben Bradley, the late great editor of the Washington Post as played by Jason Robards, has his feet up on a desk in the newsroom and he's editing a story by Woodward and Bernstein, a Watergate story, And he's using a red pencil, and he's dissecting the the manuscript. And he turns to the boys, as he called them, and he looks at them and says, you haven't got it. And Bernstein protests and says, basically, well, we've assembled a a nice collection of facts to back up our assertion of truth. And Bradley says, well, I think we should bury the story somewhere on the inside of the paper. And, And Bernstein protests again, saying it's a very important story. And he gets this icy glare from Bradley. And he looks at him and he says will get some harder information next time. So I'm gonna enlist Ben Bradley as being on our side for the proposition that facts are indeed fundamental to truth.
1: Thank you, Brent. Up next is Cindy Hirschfeld. She is arguing against the proposition.
3: Thank you, Allison. So I'm arguing the facts are not, not fundamental to truth. And I'll add the caveat that I'm not arguing that facts are not fundamental to truth in journalism, but just in general. (laughs) Facts are facts, but getting to the truth is more complex. Let me give you some definitions of truth from the good old American, Merriam-Webster dictionary. Uh, One is the state of being, the case. Another is a judgment, proposition, or idea that is true or accepted as true. And another is the property, as of a statement, of being in accord with fact or reality. Frankly, philosophers themselves can't even um, agree on one definition of of truth. Some of their competing ideas are the coherence theory, the correspondence theory, pragmatist theory, identity theory, deflationism, realism, anti-realism. You get the point. In other words, Truth is not one-dimensional. It's not black and white. It's at least 50 shades of gray. At its most basic, there are two types of truth, objective and subjective. Objective truth corresponds to facts in, in the way that we traditionally think of backing up a statement. So for example, we are sitting on the top floor of the Aspen Art Museum right now. Subjective truth, or what Brent referred to as soft truth, I believe is equally as valid. An example of that, God exists. Truth can also come from belief, when what you believe becomes the truth for you. If you see the world one way, that will become your truth. For example, if you believe that most people are kind and loving, then you'll perceive most people as kind and loving in your interactions with them. That has become your truth, and it's based on your perceptions, not any provable fact. Or what someone sees as one dog's playful bark is a threatening snarl to another person. British philosopher Julian Begini, whose book is a short history of truth, wrote in the Times Literary Supplement last year, truth is rarely, if ever, a simple matter of getting the facts straight. History, for example, certainly demands factual accuracy, but that in itself is not enough. There is also the question of which facts are made salient and how they are understood. For example, take colors. I see a blue object, maybe the blue sculpture out on the patio there, and you see the same blue object. We can likely both agree that that object is blue. Yet we can accept that truth even though my, the cones in my, the retinas of my eyes might be perceiving that blue as slightly different than the blue that your eyes are perceiving. On the flip side, being factual doesn't always mean being truthful. Today, a little girl is accused by her mother of, of, of eating five cookies before dinner. But I wasn't in the kitchen, says the girl. So that's a fact. What she doesn't say is that she reached across the countertop from this adjacent sunroom to the cookie jar. So based on what the girl said, her mother could well think erroneously that her daughter did not eat any cookies. There's also the truth-making principle of philosophy, which says every truth has a truth-maker. Or another way of putting it, for every truth, there is something that makes it true. And Julian Bigini again wrote, once we prize open a distinction between truth as meaning and truth as fact, all sorts of quote-unquote truths become possible beyond what can be established by reason and evidence alone. Take one of current events most vivid examples, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee during the confirmation hearing for now Justice Brett Kavanaugh. There were no facts beyond what she related personally to support her claim of sexual assault, yet millions of people, two millions of people, she had spoken the truth. Lucy and Freud said, there is a distinction between fact and truth. Truth is an element of revelation about it. If something is true, it is more than strike one as merely being so. I think Dr. Ford's testimony will qualify as a revelation. Observations, not hard facts, convinced her listeners. A few comments from readers of the New York Times in response to her testimony said things like, Dr. Ford had everything to lose. She told the truth. And as I listened to and observed Dr. Ford this morning, she exuded innocence and honesty. Her words were clear and thoughtful. I found her absolutely credible. One final point, the facts themselves can change, yet the truth remains the same. Take Pluto, which was the ninth planet in our solar system until until 2006 when that status was rescinded. Now it's being reconsidered. During a 2014 debate about what is a planet at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, a prominent science historian said, A planet is a culturally defined word that changes over time. Aside from the changing definition of what it is though, the truth is that in every other respect, this ball of rock that orbits the sun has remained exactly what it's been for ages. I'd like to end with a quote from Nietzsche, there are no facts, there are only interpretations.
1: Thank you you so much, Cindy. We now go back to the affirmative facts are fundamental to the truth with Curtis Wackerly.
4: Thank you, thank you all for being here. Thank you, too. My friends on the other side, uh, I think we're talking about two different things here. There is truth and there is speculation. A lot of what Cindy said referred to belief, and I think belief is basically just speculation. You know, we don't, taking the Dr. Ford example, um, we can believe very strongly uh, whether or not we find her to be truthful. but the fact of the matter is we don't really know and we're speculating. Um, much of our interpersonal communication is based around these concepts, speculation and perception. These things can be, can be fun. Uh, you let your imagination run wild. Um, you're concocting all types of theories, explaining uh, why things are the way they are. You're trying to explain the nature of the reality around you. But it gets at a key point. Um, there is reg- objective reality. And Beyond this, it's really just analysis, uh, which can delve into subjective speculation and trying to understand things in the absence of facts. Uh, Without facts, too often we are simply just shouting into a void, and this can have a detrimental effect on community fabric. Think of a case where a death has been reported in the mountains or on the highway, but no other details are available. People are left to worry and wonder, uh, sometimes proposing irresponsible theories until a factual statement from those in a position to know is made that explains what happened and to whom. Uh, For journalists, historians, and scientists, our jobs revolve around advancing the objective understanding of reality, clearing the ground that was once occupied by speculation and planning it with facts. Uh, Journalists around the globe spend their days corralling these powerful human instincts towards interpretation and speculation and, and trying to find the facts to back it up. Uh, we probe, we pry, we ask questions, we track down the documents, because at the end of the day, speculation can lead you down a path, but it is just not enough. Uh, there are so many examples I could speak to of needing the facts to get to the truth. Um, one example uh, that, that comes up from, uh, from my background uh, goes back to the spring of 2017. Uh, story we were working on uh, surrounding the redevelopment of the Lift One neighborhood and uh, and a new chairlift. Uh, there was a lot of speculation going around at the time. You had two developers who were at odds with each other. Uh, you know there was no consensus on where the new lift should go. Uh, one group that was uh, that was down at the bottom of the hill. Uh, they claimed to be in favor of bringing the lift closer to them down the hill, and they claimed that the uh, the other guys were trying to scuttle that. Um, There wasn't really anything to back that up. That was just an assertion. Um, Trying to understand the motivations of of others typically falls into this realm, and you can't really ever ever do that. You can't know what's going on inside someone's head. Um, But but you can find the factual points that that are going on outside, in the real world. Um, You can find factual data. And uh, in this case, it was suggested that there, in fact, had been a study that the ski resort operator had looked at this issue and had determined that a new lift further down the hill would be technically feasible if only the landowners would co- cooperate. Um, it turned out this study uh, did, in fact happen, but it had been, been buried. Uh, it never saw the light of day at the time of its creation. Um, but We had heard that this had actually happened, and we were able to confirm it. Um, There were records. We were able to find those. And once that objective set of facts was on the table, uh, the whole tenor of the conversation changed. And a year later, uh, after elected officials had forced forced the parties to get together and figure out how to make such an outcome technically possible, we had this kind of kumbaya moment where the developers uh, all got on the same page with the ski company, and they all said, "We're going to we're going to do this. We're going to make it a reality." And we're now working through the technical details, um, and you know we're likely to see this lower chairlift happen. Uh, it strikes me as unlikely that we would uh, be here without the right fact coming out at the right time, speaking to a fundamental truth, which is that this was possible, and it kind of cut through all the speculation. So that to me. Uh, definitely demonstrates how facts are fundamental to the truth.
1: Thank you, Curtis. You are listening to The Great Debate live at the Ask Museum, if you'd like to come join us. David Krauss will be speaking against the proposition, which is facts are fundamental to the truth. David.
5: Thank you, Allison. Thank you, everybody, for being here. This is a difficult conversation for us as journalists, so I will say that at the front, and it took me a little bit of time to put my head around it. Um, But as I um, did a little more research and kind of went back on my theology and philosophy uh, background uh, in college, uh, I really started to examine the word truth. And so, as uh, Cindy said previously, truth can be subjective. The truth can be personal. It does not have to be based on fact. We've defined truth as something we believe in in our core. To that end, the argument facts are fundamental to the truth is not a legitimate statement to us because what someone believes to be truth ultimately is multi-dim- multi-dimensional and not based solely on facts. Focusing on the problem with this statement is the word fundamental. That's what we are here to really determine, are they fundamental? There are facts that are essential, uh, are the facts essential nature of how we form our truth. No, I do not think so. Think for a minute. When was the last time you heard a friend or a family member at the end of a discussion say, people will believe what they want to believe? And then you both shrug and you shake your heads and you agree to that statement. Or what about the idea of, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree? I find myself saying that a lot more as I get older than I used to, frankly. You're both looking at the same issue with the same facts. You're looking at a report and you're seeing something completely opposite. We see that in the op-ed pages of our newspapers. Is that based on fact? Facts are statistics, like Curtis mentioned, and they're data, but truth, play to our sense of something being right. When faced with a dilemma and we seek advice, what do we hear most often from our friends and our mentors who help us guide to our final decision? Go with your gut, they'll say. What does your intuition tell you? Those are societal questions whose final answers ultimately are not ground in belief and are ultimately are ground in belief and feeling and not in facts. What facts might be present will be disregarded in the final answer to seek a person's truth. Here's a simple example, simple example. Here's the fact, it's 32 degrees outside. There's no denying that's a fact. We have it on record. It's official data. There's no alternative notion. I say, man, it's cold outside. You say, it's not cold at all. It feels great. These both come from the fact of 32 degrees, but our truths of degree of cold are founded in our belief of what cold is, not what science tells us it is. Here's another example even more subjective for those music lovers out there. Let's break down a performance. We see the sheets of music and the lyrics as facts. The musicians are the sa- on the same page working at the same time off a document or data. But the truth is what the singer gives the listener when she's brave enough to open up and sing from the heart. None of these questions suggest facts are fundamental, are the foundation to our truth. These ideas suggest at the end of the day, society feels facts are not essential to support their beliefs or their truths. They will hold true what they think is right, whether logic tells us that or not. Let's look at America's most famous quote about truth, brought to you by the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and so on and so on. Think about that modifier, self-evident. These statements do not require proof. These truths, oh, I'm supposed to stop. And we are out of done. time
1: for David Kraus, but you might have time to sneak something back in. And I'm I glad you in brought in that quote because I was going to use it and didn't turn to the declaration. Now we want to open it up to the audience. You can ask anything you want to any of the panelists. If you have something for one specific panelist, that would be best, and then we can get some rebuttals in if need be. We are trying to get to the heart of the matter. Are facts fundamental to the truth? Who has a question? And I'm gonna give you a microphone so our radio listeners can hear as well. I'm sorry, I didn't hear all that. Uh,
3: My name is Connie Harvey, I live here. I'm just asking whether, what was I asking? <laughs> um,
2: I don't remember. Is there a theory?
1: Yeah, is there a better theory? Is there a better theory than facts being fundamental to the truth? It seems like that would be something for the the those arguing against the proposition to take. Sure, David.
5: Um, I would bring in that, um, a, f- a fact maybe is a concrete reality that can't be logically argued away. Um, but truths, uh, and facts help get to the truth. Uh, but are they fundamental to the truth? Which is what the question is. Are they fundamental to the truth? Uh, I don't believe they are. I think you can get to the root of the truth without having all the facts and which we can see with Pluto, I think is the example there.
1: Would anyone on the affirmative side, like to respond? No. Do you know? We rest our case. <laughs> <laughs> I. One thing that's so interesting. I wonder how many of you walked in thinking you knew the answer to this question, and if through some of these discussions, if you've started to wonder about your own position. Do you have any follow-up questions for these for this panel? Something that's started to dawn on you. Yes, over here.
6: Hi, um, my question's for David a little bit. Just um, reflecting on the last argument you put forth, it occurs to me that in the example of the 32 degrees, um, there was a pivot between uh, proposing um, a very concrete example in the nature of the temperature and then making a pivot to a subjective point of view about that Uh, about the temperature and the way that it's encountered by the two individuals. But I wonder, so that uh, leads me to think about the the nature of this conversation and facts residing in the um, objective um, consideration of something that's very much known. In in other words, you couldn't... um, the argument wouldn't continue if you said, "Okay, two people agree that it's thirty two degrees." You couldn't then continue that thinking and say, "Well, one person, you know disagrees that it's thirty two degrees, the other you know uh, um, says that it's thirty two degrees. there's 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 something incontrovertible there about fact. But when you want to put forth the argument about truth, that's where a subjective context, really sort of um, exposes cracks in the connection between fact and truth, from my point of view. I don't know how articulate that was, but but um, when, when you're talking about something that's undeniable, so science, something scientific, for example, in the nature of 32 degrees, you can't really have a position for or against that. You need to acknowledge that as something that's immovable. But if you were to describe an emotion around that fact. That's when you're able to elaborate on different points of view. Um, so,
5: anyway. So I'll
1: let David respond to some of those differences between those truths and facts.
5: So I think what you're getting at is fact is a concrete reality, right? Data, like I think Curtis or Brent tried to throw out there, right? Fact is data. Fact is um, you can't logic it away. So. That's what what I base that example on, 32 degrees, that's fact. Your version of 32 degrees, your truth of 32 degrees is different than my truth of 32 degrees. So I might say 32 degrees, man, that's way cold. You might say, that's barely cold, I'm wearing a T-shirt, right? That's the truth that you believe in, that's the truth that I believe in. So back to our original question about fundamental, right? That's where, to me, the key is, is it fundamental to that basis of truth? No, I don't think it is fundamental because I'm giving my subjective opinion of what my truth be- what my truth is, which is could be different than your truth, which is like Curtis said on op-ed, or uh, I think Brent alluded to maybe on op-ed pages, right? Same report, pro somebody against somebody, we're looking at the same report, we're seeing it in two different ways. I believe it to be true, you don't believe it to be true. That's kind of where I went with that example.
1: That was as simple as I could get for my opponents.
3: <laughs> Thank you.
1: Sure, Cindy has a follow-up, okay. and then we have two questions over here as well.
3: You, you had mentioned um, subjective truth in your question too, I believe, and um, I just want to throw in that you know the truth is big, and I don't see anything inherently wrong with subjective truth. I think you could make an argument that it can lead one down a slippery slope, and I don't disagree with that in certain cases, but I also don't think that makes it... Um, Realistic to discount the whole concept of subjective truth is not worthwhile This gentleman in the front row, please
7: Well One of the things that uh, makes 32 degrees Or I guess it's the same uh, zero Celsius the point at which uh, water will freeze and become ice That's a pretty hard truth and then if how much that bothers a person is is quite a bit more subjective. Um, one person may not be feel the cold; another person might have be taking blood thinner or something and be very sensitive to that cold. Um, but it it does get tricky because when, and I know very little about physics, but just reading a few uh, things, physics for the amateur. Uh, you know, we regard, say, the existence of that table as a hard fact. And a physicist will say, yeah, but it's made up of all these little particles of energy that we perceive as being hard. So that's, that's a head-scratcher right there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do, did you guys want to um, comment on the, the temperature analogy over here?
7: Sure. I I'll give it to Curtis. That.
4: Well, if you didn't have a thermometer to tell you it was 32 degrees, and you just had two guys standing outside arguing about whether or not they were hot or cold, there's nothing there. You know, there's... So so you have a fact that is extremely fundamental to the truth of that discussion as to whether or not it is in fact cold. Um, And if you didn't know the temperature, it, there's nothing really it's almost like there's nothing to argue
7: about but still it's a matter of whether water is liquid or, mm-hmm.
1: or and i'm going to move us back to on mic here and we have another question on the side thank you no oh, yeah oh, here, sorry Yep. and then we'll come to you sir thank you okay first i want to
7: tease david a little bit because when you talk about the declaration of independence, and it says all men are created equal, they are obviously ignoring a huge percentage of the population.
1: Okay, I'm sorry, my great-great-great-great-grandfather
7: was, ge- uh, was George Mason, and he wouldn't sign the declaration for that reason, so I had to speak up. But, uh, and I had to tease you. Okay. <laughs> um, the question I have, and I think it could really go for, but for either side um, to answer, is the kind of the this adage of what do you think, what do you know, what can you prove? And where does that fit into what truth is? Brent, how about we start with you?
1: What do you think? What do you know? How do you prove it? And how does that fit in with our discussion?
2: That's a good question. And let me try and answer it from a journalistic perspective and, and the task of, of journalism. So journalism, um, I feel, is, is really difficult to do well. And, David and Curtis, who've both recently edited my stories, will attest that it apparently is difficult to do well uh, for me. Um, yes. um, but it's a real uh, pain to to do a good job as a journalist because your challenge is to go out and, and find out what is true to the best of your ability and then to assert that truth uh, to a reading public or a listening public uh, without over-asserting that truth and all you have at your disposal um, to try and prove out that truth are the facts that you've gleaned from your reporting. And facts are very uh, sort of stubborn things, ultimately. They either are, something either did happen or it didn't. And uh, we spend a lot of time as, as journalists uh, being lied to, frankly, because Um, people often don't want to tell us the truth or the facts of a situation. I think we're lied to more than anybody but doctors when they ask the question, (laughs) how much alcohol do you drink a week, right? (laughs) That probably doesn't get a very honest answer. Uh, so as a journalist, you learn to sort of filter through of, well, what am I being told and is it true or not? And you often, of course, have to go out and, and ask another source, hey, is that true? Did that happen? Can I document this fact? Um, so I just think, as a journalist, you gain a um, sort of exquisite appreciation for facts and how important they are to trying to um, defend the truth that you're asserting. Did that answer the question? Was it even okay. close?
1: No, that was great. Okay. D- does the side do you ha- do you want to take a stab at that as well? We
3: might wait until
1: the closing argument. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we have another audience question right here.
8: I think in many of our lives, some of our behaviors are based on what we see as the truth. 167 years ago, we had groups of people on the one hand who thought it was true that it would be okay to own another person and make them a slave. Another group thought the truth was just the opposite. And I'm I'm wondering whether any of the panelists, maybe we start with Brent, think that there were any facts uh, discerned by either of those groups in uh, formulating the truth they saw as they were going to war.
1: So as the microphone comes back to Brent, you are listening to The Great Debate live right now at the Aspen Art Museum on Aspen Public Radio. Thank you, Brent.
2: Would you try and clarify that question for me?
1: Sure. Well, what it sounds like to me is, man, wouldn't it be great if we could have every political discussion just have the correct answer out there somewhere, right? We can just go find the fact, and we don't have to argue um, about democracy, about our opinions, things like that. For example... Um, when our entire country was debating slavery. Were there facts that both sides were using? Could there have been facts that were sought out that for either side to use in order to have not had to go into civil war, for instance?
2: I see.
1: Is, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Or were people using facts to support their case?
2: It's a really good question. I have personal difficulty believing that anyone in their heart and soul genuinely thought that it was okay in the eyes of some divine ruler or higher power to enslave another human being. I think the practice was probably defended, though, in the context of cultural norms and traditions and beliefs, but I I have to go with I don't think anyone ever thought that was okay uh, deep down in their soul. Um, but I think it does get to the point that, uh, about subjective truth and belief that indeed one can be so immersed in a given context that they do um, maybe overlook some fundamental hard truths and embrace a, a softer, more subjective truth out of perhaps convenience or, or again, just cultural belief.
1: David, it sounds a lot too like that phrase that you use that we say to each other, trust your gut. Go with what's Go your with truth. Go with your gut.
5: Right, I was furiously writing down notes when Brent was speaking because I think this gentleman plays to our idea that truth, uh, these their truths on slavery were not based on fact at all, right? There was no fundamental reasoning for their their, their truth. They were based, as I said earlier, they were based on opinion, and it's a personal, truth is, can be personal, can be subjective, um, and it's something that we believe in. So one side, the South, vehemently believed that uh, this was okay, and the North said, no, this is not. So that, that shows that, to our point, that their truths, their individual truths on either side of the line were based purely on opinion and not based on fact.
1: Back to Brent.
2: I guess I'd rebut that there are very few facts that one could marshal to suggest that slavery was okay.
1: Do we have more audience questions? And so, if,
2: if there were facts put forward on that, you'd have to come up with another truth.
1: Thank you. We have one in the back, the lady in the red. Thank you.
3: That's
2: why we're journalists and not attorneys. I think. Too. I think that's
7: right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see both of you, both sides, address this question from the question about climate change, and the debate going on. Because it seems to me that, I mean, to me the facts are undeniable about climate change and what's causing it. But I think that people have a
7: perspective which they consider their truth, but it's not based on fact. So I'd like
3: to hear your perspective from the subject of climate change.
1: Thanks. Cindy, can we start with you? So maybe a modern day, there's two sides to Uh, a a political, what's become a political issue in climate change, um, where there are facts laid out yet the truth is still up for discussion.
3: So I'll take a a close to home example of that in um, advocating for climate change. My husband, for some reason, likes to question some of the scientific facts. And he thinks, well, because we can't see them, you know, scientists speculate all these things, how do you ever prove that it's true? Yet, when I tease him, well, well, you're just a denier. <laughs> he says, no, 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 I'm not. You know, what is there's no downside that comes from advocating for climate change. So I would say he, he's in favor of climate change, but he's not relying on what others of us might consider as facts to arrive at that position. If that makes sense? <laughs>
4: I think this is a perfect example illustrating hard objective truths versus subjective belief uh, there, there are s- so much data demonstrating that this is happening that the world is getting warmer that we're pumping carbon into the atmosphere that it's having these effects Like there's a very clear cause and effect uh, but some people ha- just won't accept that because of their beliefs. And it, it, it's it's a perfect example of, of
2: ignoring facts and, and having
4: a set of beliefs in the absence of facts.
1: Brent.
2: I, I would add to that, that uh, as a journalist, you're often challenged with, well, what do I say about climate change or global warming? Do I have to, when I use the phrase, put in a, an afterthought that, well, some people don't believe it? And I have made it my own mine as a journalist, that it's a fact, it's caused by humans burning carbon, and so I've just started going there as someone who works uh, diligently to present the truth. There was an article that I wrote that was in the Aspen Times yesterday, and it had the sentence or the phrase, water supplies are dwindling due to global carbon burning that's what the science shows. And I just went with it and said, no, that's what's happening. And so we are challenged, I think, as journalists sometimes to uh, make up our own minds about what is truth based on the facts and then to go there. So I'm I'm past having the debate. Uh, I'm just going with global carbon burning.
1: Any other questions from the audience? I might throw out one more um, to the panel as a whole. It does sound like we've, heard an argument that there can be perhaps non-factual truths, so truths that are inherent that you believe, that you perceive. Um, are there untrue facts, though? Is, can you flip that? Can you ha- there's a non-factual truth. Are there untrue facts?
4: I, I have a hard time coming up with
2: one. Me too.
3: I, I don't think that they're. I would have a hard argument um, for untrue facts, too, but as I pointed out, I think you can tell facts and still not tell the truth.
5: I would agree. I would agree with that. That's a hard one. That is very uh, thought provoking, but I, just, I don't know how you can go there.
1: Actually, I have a, I have a thought. <laughs> we have two suggestions, and then we are going to get to closing arguments.
2: In the definition of facts in the OED, the, the first <laughs> definition is indeed. Um, it's an it says an event, and so um, I actually think the resurrection is a is a good example there. Um, it's a fact to many people, and yet you can't you can't prove it, and so um, that's a that's an event that's a that's a fact that people take as fact, and uh, good luck trying to tell some people that that's not a fact.
1: We have do we have time for one more? Comment in the very back. We, I need you on the microphone if you're going to speak. Thank you for our list. We have listeners on the radio right now. Thank you.
7: Is it a fact or is it a belief?
1: So the question is: It a fact or is it a belief for for the resurrection example? Thank you. I mean,
3: and also, faith, faith, belief, fact. Are they all the same?
1: So we have two minutes for closing arguments, one from each side. Then it is up to you, the audience. So you have your ticket in hand, and you are gonna make this call. And, it, and it's for who made the most compelling argument during this discussion. We will begin, do we know, sorry, who we will I. begin with for the closing arguments. Sorry. I'm happy to go. We're gonna go with the, uh, the, those arguing for the proposition. Facts are fundamental to the truth. And we have your closing arguments now.
2: I think to summarize the arguments that Curtis and I have made, we would say the following that without facts, we are speculating on reality. We need facts to deal with truth. We need facts to define the truth, and we need facts to handle the truth. And It's an ancient, innate thing that that we have as as humans. We need to see the evidence before we believe certain things, and um, I would also suggest that um all of this depends on how you define truth but facts are much more easily defined than truth and i'd also say that facts themselves are elusive and they take a a great deal of of tackling and and work to be able to state a fact precisely and and in the right context if there's no factual underpinning to your truth then
4: it it probably isn't worth much. I mean, it's only your truth. And does that make it actually true if it's not something that you can agree on with other people? There has to be some factual underpinning. Belief does not equal truth.
1: All right, and now those arguing ag- against the proposition, facts are from un- fundamental
3: to the truth, beginning with Cindy. So we are sticking to our argument <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that, um, that facts are not... Essential to the truth. Certainly, facts can lead to the truth, but there are also other ways of getting there. And we would argue that truth—truth is better—is bigger, bigger than just a factually factually based um, arrival. And I would also say that, in, in response to the point that belief is nothing but speculation, we have to just to get on with, lo- with our lives and come to any thoughts and conclusions. We have to have a certain amount of speculation. We can't possibly know all the facts about everything that we think about and decide on every day from minute to minute. And if we couldn't make a certain spe- have a certain speculation, we would just be bogged down forever in our, our one thought for the rest of our lives. While you vote, we can
1: continue the conversation. If there was a couple more points that you wanted to make, um, you can hand in your ballot. The Aspen Art Museum staff will have a very thorough count and recount, so there is no rigging this election. And they are coming around right now. And were there any other final thoughts from the panel?
2: Ask question of my of my esteemed colleagues. Um, will my esteemed colleagues on the other side of this equation agree that facts are fundamental to truth in journalism?
1: So now for the extra highlight reel, let's talk about journalism specifically. When we are seeking truth, do we have to have the facts? Yeah,
5: start. I'll start on that one. I think uh, the facts can be used to support whatever position you want to take but can't solely be the foundation of the truth uh, unless you have all of the facts. And to me, the misuse of facts is no different than the absence of facts and how you use those facts. So, we can have 10 facts and try to get to the truth, but if we're missing facts 11, 12, and 13, then are we really getting to the truth? I guess that would be my argument. And to the point of journalism, I think, you know, I learned from a mentor a long time ago, uh, one of the greatest editors I ever worked with, at the end of the day, when he was working on a story, kind of like the Ben Bradley idea, it's, okay, what do we know? We're gonna report what we know. We might not know all of it, but we have to report what we know now. And then we might have to come back and amend it or write a different story that says, now that new facts have come to light, here is the difference to the truth. So, based on that argument and working backward from the word truth through fundamental back to fact, which is what I've been doing for about two weeks now, um, that has been the hardest part as a journalist to get to, frankly. Um, is, you know, we, we print what we know. If we don't know it, then we're not going to speculate, and that can be part of it.
3: Um, I'll just add quickly that. The facts that are included in a story need to be absolutely correct, but if you want to arrive at, say, a truth if you're um, publishing a profile of somebody, then certainly a writer's perceptions of that, how that person, their demeanor, how they act, maybe make, you know, taking certain cues from how they dress, that kind of thing that's not factually based necessarily, but that it can arrive in the end at a, at a truth for the story.
1: Brent, you, you mentioned something, um, just, just kind of in jest during this conversation, that it's a good thing you're not lawyers. And I, I want, um, while we're waiting for the votes to be tallied, maybe some pontification on our justice system, where I think it is much more based on what facts you have and lay out than the actual truth. And there's a, we have this weight where it has to be probably pretty true, and we don't ever have to get to total truth for like a guilty verdict or something like that. So um, I know I'm catching you all off guard here, but
0: if I can get some thoughts on that. And just while you're getting ready to prep for that, our voting is closing now. So if you have a final vote, please raise it now for it to be counted. Thank you.
2: Well, my joke about David and I not being attorneys was more a reflection that perhaps neither one of us are, are very skilled uh, advocates for a position. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's because of our newsroom background and disposition. Uh, as a journalist, you constantly have to be asking, not only do I have it right, is this right, but um, what's the other side, what's fair? Um, it, it's um, a great exercise as a journalist to always argue the, the other side of a proposition, because you're often given a story with a, a basic working premise. So and so has done something illegal, immoral, or unethical, um, and you always have to say, well, wait, is that really the case? Are there, um, Mitigating circumstances, do I know all the facts? Maybe that's not fair. Are we really being fair to this particular uh, situation? And and lawyers are not necessarily trained to be fair, they're trained to be um, advocates. And it is interesting that the justice system does uh, depend upon who made the most compelling argument with a given set of facts. And, And sometimes that's pretty scary thought.
1: Well, that's the perfect lead-in, because the results are in. Right before we go off-air here, I want to get this out. Who made the most compelling argument tonight f- to the statement, facts are fundamental to the truth? 15 people voted against that statement that the, that the group arguing against made the most compelling argument, and 18 voted <laughs> <laughs> that facts are fundamental to the truth. Thank you all so much for being here, and thanks to our listeners at home.
0: And adding in our gratitude again from the Aspen Art Museum, thank you so much for all of the courage and strength and veracity that it took to be up here today. Um, We have a small reception if you'd like to speak with our our panel Um, and a reminder that in probably about 15 minutes or so, we'll get ready to play All the President's Men. We'll just kind of reset to get more comfortable um, and we'll have some snacks and beverages for purchase if you're interested. Thank you again for coming.